Life's complicated and overwhelming enough, especially for those in mission-driven work. Let's make your journey to health as simple and sustainable as possible. I'm Lisa Baker, and I want to welcome you to the Simply Health Coaching Podcast, where it's the food, and it's more than the food. On this podcast, we'll talk about the food you put in your mouth and everything else that nourishes you or doesn't. My vision is a world in which you can be well while doing good. And my mission is to give you the simple tools and practices to get there. Let's get started. Before we get started, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the Michigan Economic Development Corporation for funding my Michigan Small Business Restart Program grant. Uh, proposal. The fact that I got funded is good news for my business and great news for you if you are a woman who is burning out in her mission-driven work. A couple definitions there. Uh, Whether you work at home, from home, inside the home, outside the home, we women really tend to gravitate towards mission-driven work. And what I mean by mission-driven work is um, anything like healthcare, elder care, child care, hospice care work, um, educators, social workers, anyone who does uh, work in nonprofits, really anyone who works for the greater good of the community and the world, Um, not just making money, but making a difference in the world. So if you are one of these women and you are burning out in your work, Part of the grant funds are being set aside for offering scholarships for participants in my coaching program that launches in October. And I want to make a special note here. I recognize that there is historic economic inequality. And I know that health coaching is often viewed as a high-end, prohibitively expensive offering. And one of my missions in life is to change this perception and to change the reality. And so I especially encourage all my sisters who identify as Black, Indigenous, and people of color, or as part of other marginalized groups, to reach out now to see whether the program is a good fit for you, whether you think you have the resources to pay for it or not. The link to schedule a free consultation to measure the fit is in the show notes. I look forward to talking to you soon. The program starts in mid-October, and the deadline to do a consult and register is October 9th, so please reach out today. Thanks. I started this podcast in March of 2020, just as the pandemic was heating up in the States. And after talking briefly about immunity, especially about the mental hygiene aspect of it, I spoke at length about the foods that we put in our mouths, talking about whole, close to the source ingredients, cooked at home, eaten in moderate portions with intention and gratitude. And then I moved on to talk about the next level of these secondary foods, which I call soul foods, S-O-L-E, those which are seasonal, organic, local, and ethical. You can find all those episodes in the podcast homepage in your listening app. In integrative nutrition, the foods we put in our mouths are considered secondary to everything else in our lives that nourishes us or doesn't. Because very often, our relationship to secondary foods is a reflection of some sort of disharmony in a in a primary food or more than one primary food. For example, if you hate your job and your boss is a jerk and your co-workers drive you crazy, you're much more likely to stand in front of the freezer and empty a pint of Ben and Jerry's when you get home from work 
than is someone whose career is highly fulfilling. In the past four episodes, I've talked about the highest level of primary foods, those that are also called soul foods, spelled S-O-U-L, seasonal, organic, unique, and loving, specifically self-loving. This week, we're going to start taking a closer look at primary foods, which include career, relationships, spiritual practice, physical activity, sleep, time in nature. The list really is endless. And today I'm going to focus on one of my favorite primary foods and activities, which is sleep. Sleep is a vital primary food. With good quality sleep in sufficient amounts, we are more clear-headed, more even-tempered, and more able to concentrate. That may not be news to you, but did you know that your body's immune system is most active while you sleep? So think about it this way. If you are shorting yourself on quality sleep, you're getting in the way of letting your immune system do its work. It's like hiring a nighttime cleaning crew and then working late and getting in their way. As a result, you may actually notice that you get sick more often, and you may even notice that you're aging faster than your friends who get more sleep. And have you ever tracked your food cravings with respect to your sleep schedule? Do it for a few days or weeks, and you may find that when you sleep more, you have fewer cravings, especially for sugar and other carbs and caffeine. So yes, sleep can even affect your weight. Here are 10 effects of insufficient sleep, according to WebMD. And I'll put the link to this article in the show notes because it really is a worthwhile read. So 10 effects of insufficient sleep, according to WebMD. Number one, sleepiness causes accidents. Not just big ones, like the 1979 nuclear accident at Three Mile Island, the massive Exxon Valdez oil spill, the 1986 nuclear meltdown at Chernobyl, but smaller ones too, like traffic accidents and accidents in the workplace. Number two, sleep loss makes you kind of stupid. Lack of sleeping impairs important abilities, such as attention, alertness, concentration, reasoning, problem solving, and memory. So learning efficiently becomes more difficult when you're tired. Sleep disorders, number three, sleep disorders and chronic sleep loss can put you at risk for heart disease, heart attack, heart failure, irregular heartbeat, high blood pressure, stroke, diabetes. And according to some estimates, 90% of people with insomnia also have another health condition. So enough said. Number four, lack of sleep kills sex drive. Again, enough said, don't need to say any more. Number five, lack of sleep can contribute to depression and insomnia can be one of the very first symptoms of depression. Number six, Lack of sleep ages your body by reducing the amount of human growth hormone released. So when we're young, this human growth hormone is really vital for growth and development. And as we age, it helps increase muscle mass, thicken skin, and strengthen bones. So we don't want to reduce that even if we're adults. Number seven, sleep affects your memory. Number eight, losing sleep can make you gain weight by decreasing ghrelin and leptin, which regulate our feelings of hunger and fullness, which can lead to overweight and obesity. 
And that's made worse by the fact that a lack of sleep also stimulates cravings for high-fat, high-carb foods. Number nine, lack of sleep may increase risk of death. A study from Great Britain showed that cutting sleep from seven to five or few hours a night nearly doubles the risk of death from all causes, and especially from cardiovascular disease. And finally, number 10, sleep loss impairs judgment, especially about sleep. So lack of sleep can affect our interpretation of events and hurt our ability to make sound judgments and act on them wisely. So if you ever noticed when you're tired, you make much worse decisions. And it's also harder to get along with people because you're misreading so many situations. Somewhat ironically, there is a point in sleep deprivation when we cannot recognize how sleep impaired we actually are. So are you terrified yet? What can you do, particularly if you have trouble falling asleep at night? You can improve your so-called sleep hygiene. And yes, that's a real world word. And you can find a lot of tips for that on the interwebs. So I want to focus instead on strategies for dealing with insomnia in midlife. So let's talk about sleepless in midlife. I am one of those lucky people blessed with the ability to fall asleep just about anywhere, anytime, even during a bus or train commute. So yeah, sleeping on the red line in Chicago was probably not quite as safe as falling asleep on the Boulder to Denver commuter bus, but I slept in both of them. My husband says that it only adds insult to injury that I can also wake up without an alarm, whether it's exactly in time to get up for my daily workout, which happens around 4 a.m., or to keep my power nap to 10 minutes, or to get off at my bus or train stop. I was a little awed about sleep as a child. While most kids beg and plead to stay up, I couldn't wait to get in bed, and I always slept really well, at least after I overcame my fear of nightmares and thunderstorms. And of course, that only lasted until we had our own kids. When that happens, there's the absolute need to crawl in bed as early as possible because you just know that someone is going to be waking up soon and you can be awakened by the smallest rustle from across the house, even without a baby monitor. But children do eventually sleep through the night. Even my own two terrible sleepers reached an age where a cannon by their bed won't wake them up. And I was able to get back to my seven to eight hours a night really easily at that point, so, uh, mostly thanks to a husband who took the quote unquote late shift so I could get up and do the early shift, which is definitely not his best time of day. So it was really strange and kind of scary when in my late 40s, I started waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to fall back asleep for hours. What the heck? I thought this isn't me. Well, apparently it was me, the new me, for a few years. And it wasn't until I started learning how common this is in women my age that I started to connect the dots. In integrative nutrition, when we don't feel well, we're encouraged to experiment with our diet and our lifestyle choices to figure out the cause of our discomfort and address that rather than mask the symptoms with medications or other aggressive interventions if possible. So when our sleep goes wonky in midlife, there can be a number of factors at play. 
physiological, yes, and perhaps more importantly, emotional and even spiritual. It's interesting to track our triggers. So just like I talked about with um, secondary food, when we talked about identifying food sensitivities by tracking your triggers, we can also track what triggers our stress response, what triggers our hot flashes, what triggers our insomnia, and so on. And for me, the physical triggers uh, for insomnia are pretty much the same things that trigger uh, hot flashes. Uh, so caffeine, sugar, alcohol, stress. And because I know that, it often comes down to a conscious choice in terms of secondary foods. If I'm tempted to have coffee later than noon or dessert or wine with dinner, I have to decide how much sleep I need to get to be fully functioning the next day. And sometimes that glass of wine is worth not sleeping well, like on a Friday or Saturday night. Coffee and dessert usually lose out. I've been able to give up both of those for the most part because I just know how poorly I'm going to sleep. There's a lot you can do about your sleep hygiene. You can search that up online or just go directly to sleep.org. Ha! And be sure you do that at least 60 minutes before bedtime because you don't want to be on your screens too late. That's one major thing that will help you sleep better if you're in the habit of scrolling through your phone or being on your computer really late in the day. Try to turn those screens off at least an hour, if not two, before you hit the bed. So... Um, sometimes all the sleep hygiene tips in the world just aren't working. And in my reading, I've come across a few concepts from traditional and alternative systems of medicine that really made sense to me. In Ayurveda, insomnia is said to be due to an imbalance in our doshas. Um, so there are three types of body types or doshas. And um, you can dig into that separately. We can talk about it some other time. But one of those doshas is called vata, and it's the fire element. So yeah, it's kind of a nice euphemism for a hot flash. You know, you're like madly fanning yourself with whatever you can get your hands on. And like, oh, sorry, don't mind me, just my vata showing. But um, that, that dosha, that body type uh, tends to have uh, more insomnia. And in traditional Chinese medicine, the hours of the day and night are associated with specific organ systems. So a certain window can help identify the area where you are out of balance in your body. So for example, waking up between one and three is likely an imbalance in the liver. And if you're waking up between three and five in the morning, it's probably an imbalance in your lungs. What makes this even more interesting is that each organ system is also associated with an emotion. God, so much to geek out about, right? Um, Dr. Christiane Northrup teaches that perimenopause is our body's Hail Mary. If we haven't been paying attention to the monthly, excuse me, you need to take care of me, taps on your shoulder that your body gives you during PMS, perimenopause is the two by four that hits us upside the head. It's like our body's one final attempt to get our attention and get us to address what is out of alignment in our lives. So when you think about what you do in a day, can you honestly say 
that you have the time to sit and think about your values and your priorities and make every decision based on whether or not a specific choice is going to bring you into alignment with those principles. Yeah, that's what I thought. But what if your insomnia is actually a gift in disguise? I came to think about it as the equivalent to being sick during vacation. <laughs> we tend to keep ourselves together to sort of keep pushing through, ignore when we don't feel 100%. Then we go on vacation and wham, it's like our bodies know that we can rest now. So forget that you had all these really cool vacation plans that you were going to do all these things. No, your body's like, oh, good, you're on vacation. Now you're going to rest and you're going to do it now. So as a working woman, and especially as a mother, you probably crave me time. Waking up in the middle of the night can be that gift of time. It's happening for you, not to you. It's your mind letting you know that there are things you need to sort out. And if you're not doing it during the day, you definitely have the time to do it at night. So think about how many times in a day you say, oh, if I only had another hour, oh, I need more hours in the day. Well, the universe delivers. If you ask, you're going to get it. It may not be when you want it, but it's going to happen. So when your mind is letting you know that you have some things you need to sort out, you're going to find yourself waking up in the middle of the night and thinking about them when you're supposed to be asleep. And gee, if you could fall asleep now, you could still get six hours. And in between checking the clock, your mind goes into monkey mode, hops from tree to tree, topic to topic. Well, now maybe you could still get five hours. Well, darn it, why did I agree to do XYZ this week? I knew I wouldn't have time. Ugh, okay, I could still get four hours. <laughs> And now there's this problem at school. So how am I going to handle that? No, now I'm down to three hours. And what about that major deadline at work? Two hours, screw it, might as well get up. So if you are suffering from midlife insomnia, usually featuring you know, relatively easily falling asleep, but waking up in the middle of the night and unable to go back to sleep, and you're feeling desperate about it, you've tried improving your sleep hygiene without any noticeable effect, you're looking for a natural remedy, bear with me and try a new strategy. Not just for one night, but for at least a week or two. I mean, what's it gonna hurt, right? You're awake anyway. So before you try this though, make an agreement with yourself that it's an exercise. There are no grades being given out. There is no judgment passed. There is no, I did it right, I did it wrong. It's just a practice. So number one, stop looking at the clock. Seriously, remove that temptation. Turn it around or cover it up. And make sure you have an alarm set. <laughs> Practice a simple breathing exercise. Uh, two of my favorites are Dr. Andrew Weil's 478 breath and... Um, the other one is Mark Devine's version of box breathing. I've found that doing these exercises before bed can put your body on notice that it's time to sleep. So sometimes that's enough in the middle of the night too. You may actually just drift back to sleep by doing those breathing exercises, and you might not. If you've done the breathing and you're still awake, try to let your train of thought be just that, a train slowly moving by, 
or better yet, a meandering river or a gentle wind, and your thoughts come up like leaves floating downstream or clouds moving across the sky, and they move on. Try not to latch onto any one of them. Next, get curious. What areas of your life do most of those thoughts pertain to? relationships, career, spirituality, home environment, just make a mental note of those areas. Ask yourself what feels out of alignment in those areas. Do you find yourself working 60-hour weeks when you've always wanted to work part-time? Are you spending time with someone who's an energy vampire when what you really need is someone who builds you up? Wonder aloud or to yourself, what can be done to sort this out? Don't actually start listing things that can be done. Just ask the question, all right? So that's really the exercise. Stop looking at the clock. Practice some simple breathing exercises. If you've done the breathing and you're still awake, try to let your train of thought just move by you slowly. Don't latch on to any thoughts. And finally, if you're still awake, get curious. What areas of your life do most of these thoughts pertain to? What feels out of alignment in those areas? And huh, ask yourself the question, I wonder what can be done to sort this out? And now try not to spin into figuring it out. That's it. Still awake? Start back at question number one. <laughs> So you might say, so what? What does all of that actually do? Honestly, it might not do anything or it might do a lot. As much as we hate to admit it, our mothers were right more than they were wrong. And one of my mom's Russian sayings is that morning is wiser than evening. Something that distresses us at night can seem really, really different by morning light. You might be surprised how often solutions to seemingly impossible to solve problems can pop up after you finally get back to sleep if you use the above practice. That's what I wanted to share with you today about sleep and especially about insomnia in midlife. So if you found this interesting or useful or you want to talk more about it, I'd love to check in with you and um, give you some support in your sleep area of primary food. Schedule a Your Story session and let's talk about it. The link is in the show notes. And don't forget to sign up for a consult to see whether my health coaching program that launches in mid-October is a good fit for you. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Thanks for listening. Let me know your thoughts about the episode and share your biggest takeaways and aha moments. You can send me a voice message directly through Anchor, as well as some of the other listening platforms. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast in your listening app so you never miss an episode. Love the podcast? You can support it with a donation directly from the podcast homepage in most listening apps. And if you'd like to know more about my work, visit my website at simplyhealthcoaching.com.